Greetings to all of God's people. Uh, this is the second taping of this uh, study, which is the law, that is the Torah, in Hebrew from Genesis to Deuteronomy, but in essence we're going to cover the whole Bible. In other words, whenever it is relevant, we'll go to any other scripture or any other book of the Bible. Last time we covered uh, the concept of the law, the concept of the Torah, because it has uh, theology behind it. Before you study the law of God, you have to understand what it is all about because there are an awful lot of misconceptions and because of that, lots of abuse and because of that, much misunderstanding and ultimately an awful lot of resentment against it. In other words, as some of you probably have seen that bumper sticker on a car, uh, to know me is to like me. And in essence, when you know God through his law, you do not develop a mind that is carnal, uh, that is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God and hates God's way, but on the contrary, you fall in love with the Creator, with His mind, with His nature, with His character, and therefore you desire to be like Him. And it's very important in the study of the law that you first learn not to know the law or study the law, but you have to develop first the love of the law. And it's difficult to know that when you don't know what the law is all about. So basically, in the first uh, taping, I covered uh, that subject, and hopefully those who are going to listen to it, and if you haven't, maybe you should go back to it before you study uh, the law, before you go through this uh, taping, so you can have a proper background. Now we're going to begin with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and we'll cover whatever we can during this uh, 45 minutes that we have today. Uh, on chapter 2, I'm going to go into a subject and that would be the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is introducer, and that's a whole subject by itself. So at that point, uh, from that scripture, I will basically uh, take a journey into uh, the whole Bible from beginning until the end, to give you again uh, the theology of what the Sabbath is all about, from the mind of God, what was the intent of it for all of humanity. In Genesis, so the beginning, or the history, uh, Genesis is, is, uh, is not a Hebrew word, uh, in Hebrew, it is basically the word that was used was the first word that appears in the first verse, which is beginning, uh, which is translated into Genesis. The history of uh, humanity, this, at this point we're not talking about Israel, we're not talking about any specific people, we're not talking about a church or theology, we're just talking about the history of humanity. What is it that God had in mind? And so he's introducing himself, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's how you read it in English. In Hebrew, however, the way he inspired Moses to write it, is the way God likes to be introduced, for what he is. And so he did not say, in the beginning, God, but he said, in the beginning, created God, the heavens and the earth. In other words, he's introducing himself as the creator, because there are, you're talking about uh, period, in the days of Moses, where most of humanity were, basically was into idolatry, it had many gods, and so if you introduce him as God, well, there is another God, where there have been many others, uh, as far as humanity is concerned. So he introduced himself, not just as God, but first as the creator. So now that's a different story, because all the other gods were not known. None of them was known as the creator. They were known as God of the valley, God of fire, God of this and God of that. But the creator of the heaven and earth, that's something totally different. That makes him number one. 
And so God had that in mind and wanted all of humanity as they read this, not only Israel, as they read Moses, so to speak, from chapter 1 and verse 1 of the beginning of the story to understand that he is the creator. And so when we get to the Sabbath, we're going to see a repeat of that too. In verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What we see here, if you just read verse 1 and then verse 2, you would get the, the, the impression that God created the universe in a state of chaos and confusion, as some people believe it to be. But between verse 1 and 2, as we call it verses, there were no verses originally, nor chapters, but between the first one, or the first sentence, and the second one, there was an awful lot of time that went by. So God is not dealing in verse 1 and 2 with the same subject. In verse 1, he is introducing himself as the creator of the universe. And in verse 2, he's starting another story. Because at this point, he's not interested in telling everything. That comes later, a little bit here and a little bit there, for the sake of the wise. And not for the sake of those who at this point have no interest in God as the creator and therefore the absolute ruler of their life. And so it says that the earth was without form and without void. In other words, it was in a state of confusion. It was dark, darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. Now the Spirit in Hebrew for spirit in terms of what is in, uh, in other words, what sort of the engine of uh, the person, be it God or man, that's the spirit. This is what propels you. This is what uh, gives you intelligence, uh, everything else. And the wind, which is a force of nature, these two words are the same in Hebrew. And God specifically chose that word to represent what he is and the spirit that he placed in man. And ironically, there are people that, as time went by, began to believe that the Spirit itself is a person, and they refer to that person as a he. And yet the Spirit introduced here as a she, not a he. In other words, in the feminine form, which would not make sense if you later on apply to it a personality, or you personify it, and you call it a man in that sense, or let's say a male, because you say a he, not a she. Yeah, the scripture makes it very plain, and throughout the whole Hebrew scriptures, generally, the spirit is introduced in the feminine form, which means that creates a problem for the Trinity concept. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the word for God is not God. It's not what the German word later on was God, but it is Elohim. So to put God, you are already from the fourth word here in chapter 1 and verse 1, you're clouding the issue. You're mixing people's minds because it is not speaking about God, it is speaking about Elohim. It's speaking about plural. How many of them at this point we don't know. Later on we find out there are two of them. But that's not the end of the story. And so Elohim, which one of them said? Elohim is applicable to either one of them. And so we don't know at this point until later on. We find out. And so Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. And so Elohim so, Elohim is in the plural, so is in the singular, and so people get confused because they think, well, if it is plural, how can it be singular? 
The simple reason is that the word Elohim in the plural was applied to both. So it could be two, it could be many. And so Elohim saw that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Well, to link it to another scripture later on, in John and some other places, we find out, Colossians also 1.16, that God created the universe by the one that became Jesus Christ. And therefore, now you can inject that into these scriptures, and you begin to see that though the Father is the creator of all heaven and earth and the supreme ruler, he did the creation by the one that became Jesus Christ. In other words, though Solomon is the one considered to be the builder of the temple, Solomon himself as king was not out there building the temple. He had somebody else in charge and he had many others under him. So it's not wrong to say that Solomon built the temple and it's not wrong to say that the one that became the father created the universe. Both of them are applicable, but they build it through all those who were under them. In this case, Jesus Christ and how much help he employed in terms of the angels, that we don't know yet. And then we read in uh, verse 5, And Elohim called the night, that is called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Some people later on say, well, how do you know about time? Maybe time was lost. How would you know which day is the Sabbath? Later on, Christ tells us, don't you know that there are 12 hours in a day? Now, when did the 12 hours begin? At what specific generation? If Moses is writing it here, a period of about 2,000 years down the road, that there was day and there was night, and it is basically the same description that Christ used later on, that a day has 12 hours, so we know that from the beginning, a day was 12 hours and the night was 12 hours. And therefore, after six days and six nights came the Sabbath. So we have no worry about how do you know when the Sabbath is? Has time been lost? I think that is very plain and for those who have faith, it is not a problem. If you don't have faith, well, that's a different issue. Then Elohim said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the water, and let it divide the waters from the waters. When you study science, when you study many other subjects related to it, you begin to understand more of these things. I have no intention of going into science or scientific explanations. They are very fascinating, but that's not theology, so we are not going to deal very much with that. And verse 7, Thus God that is, Elohim made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. Now, the word for firmament in Hebrew is shamaim. Shamaim could be either the one above you, the one above that one, the one above that one, whichever it may be. It has nothing to do with any specific distance. So when you say, when you go to the shamaim, or in, in English, you go to heaven, anytime you board a plane and you fly somewhere you went into heaven and you do not get the impression or the theological cons uh, explanation that you actually went to heaven well you know exactly what it means you just went up into the sky and that's why his language developed they began to change those or to give it specific words so you would know that you are in, in the sky or you are uh, in the stratosphere or you are at a certain level but you're not talking about uh, the heaven where God is. In Hebrew, they use just one word for anything. The sky, the firmament, the stratosphere, where the stars are, above, below, under, where God is. So when some scriptures later on talk about, let's say, Elijah going up to heaven, you have to take it with that background in mind. 
in other words, so you don't know Hebrew, try to think Hebrew. Uh, understand always, and maybe I should repeat here a rule of thumb for studying the Bible, always get the background, read it in the context, and then find out what it means. Until that time, do not make a conclusion, because oftentimes it would be a wrong one. And so God created this sky, in essence, to separate uh, that which is under and that which is above, and all those things were obviously to make life as we know it today on this earth possible. And so things have to be different, and there have to be rivers, not only on the ground in terms of water, but also rivers in the sky of channels, let's say, of winds that they travel in a certain direction here and there, and that's how they make possible for the different seasons, for rain, for storm, for whatever is necessary for planet Earth. And so the creation is, in that sense, on two levels. Only one is different for a different purpose. In verse uh, 9, then God, that is Elohim again, said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw it, that it was good. In other words, again, many of these words are generic, like seas. Uh, today we have oceans, we have seas, we have lakes. Uh, in the old language, in Hebrew, everything is a sea. You know, the Sea of Galilee, it's not really a sea here, it's just a small lake. Uh, some places could be a pond, still called a sea. So again, always find out the background and the context uh, as you go along. This is very simple, but some get a little bit more complex. Then Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yielded seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. This statement is a very fundamental one, according to its kind, because as we read later on, when we get to chapter 6, we'll see that people started developing a theology that different kinds or different species can actually merge and create a new being, and that's in terms of the, of the angels. I would not elaborate at this point, but later on we'll, we'll talk more about it. But just remember this statement. Everything that God created is according to its kind. And those things, he says, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the earth that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God is going to repeat it again and again in many places throughout the Bible so people get the point. Some people need an awful lot of, uh, awful lot of uh, reminders before they really understand what God is talking about. Verse 13, So the evening and the morning were the third day. To create a day, you've got to have a morning and an evening. To create a day, you have to have a morning and an evening that have, in essence, 12 hours each. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmaments of the heavens. And here it is another important statement that he made, because that will have to do later on with holidays and special times that God has sanctified, and this gives us a very important clue there. And Elohim said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. So there will be 12 and 12, generally speaking, but it's not really 12 and 12 because you have winter and you have summer, and days are either longer or shorter. So it is a generic statement for day and night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. 
And when you study theology, as time goes by, in other words, the teachings that God gave his people Israel, that will take a greater meaning, this statement. In other words, that the sun and the moons were involved, in essence, in defining the time and the season for the, play, the that is the holidays that God gave Israel that had to do with harvests, that had to do with the seasons, that had to do with the heat of the day or the cold of the day. Uh, all those things became very important. But here it is, he's just giving a, a foundational understanding. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, a greater light to rule the day, and the greater light later on will take even a greater under, uh, meaning. I'll come back to it when we get to Genesis, that is actually Exodus chapter 12, in terms of the Passover. Because that created a terminology that is not understood in the West, and therefore when you study the Bible on a certain subject, you do not necessarily get the meaning of it. In terms of the Passover, and in specific, uh, the term that many people have difficulty with, Ben Harbaim, what does it mean? Uh, this one is a foundational statement for it, but we'll come back to it later. God said then in the ferment of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. Verse 19, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, that is Elohim, let the waters around with an abundance, uh, that is abound with an abundance of living creatures, living beings, and let birds fly above the earth, and birds fly as it says, across the face of the firmament of the heavens, and obviously birds don't go to heaven in the sense of the, uh, the heavens where God is. So we understand that just because you go to heaven, birds go to heaven, airlines go to heaven, doesn't mean that you go to heaven in the theological sense of going up to God. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. It's always according to their kind. There is no crossing. Science knows of no example, not one single example, where there has been a crossing between the species. It's utter impossibility. Uh, you can have a donkey and a horse creating a mule, but that's, not, uh, that's within the same species. Or dogs of different kinds, but you do not have different species. In other words, as later on in chapter 6 we'll see, there is no such a thing as one, let's say, uh, one kind of uh, life going into another kind of life and merging and creating another kind of life. It's total impossibility according to the laws that God set in motion. And so, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Everything functioned properly the way God wanted it. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in, in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now we come to a very important day. This day, in essence, is the day where we are alive. The sixth day. And here God says in verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, and cattle, and creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. Always according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. God is not repeating himself for sake of just repeating. He's repeating it because it is extremely important to understand what God is doing on this earth. So people would not get confused with what people later on will teach that God is doing when he is not doing it. Everything is according to his kind. 
And that goes also for those who live with a different life, let's say, different uh, level of life, specifically the holy angels. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, after those things were created on the sixth day, and God said, let, now, here again, let's say, Elohim said. So now, it's not one person speaking for Elohim, it is now two speaking for Elohim, because now they say, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So now the word Elohim, or the term Elohim, takes its full meaning, plurality. No more a person in the that in, the, in that terminology of Elohim speaking, but now both of them are speaking. We know both because later on we find out throughout the scriptures that there are two of them. And they say now, talking to each other, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Notice what he said, and notice what he didn't say in this scripture. He did not say, let men start subjugating his fellow men, and ruling over him, and having dominion over him. He did not say, let men start subjugating his wife. He did not say, let men start subjugating his children. The subjugation, in essence, and the dominion that God gave man is over the creation, over the animals, over the land, not over somebody else who is just like him. That God reserved only for himself. And so when you read the statement later on by this God, who became Jesus Christ, who said, that you have no right to bear dominion and authority over others as the nations do, as the rulers of the Gentiles do. Because you have only one master, he is in heaven. But all of you are brethren. All of you are on the same level. He had to remind them, because man has degenerated in essence, even from after the Garden of Eden, in the family of Adam, into believing that they can actually subjugate one another. And God never, never, ever meant for it. And that created a problem also even between man and woman, husband and wife. Subjugation was never meant by God under any circumstance, by anyone. God reserved that one. For the simple reason is that God is the head of man. And man here means both. No other man is ahead of man. When man has taken that upon himself to do it, only evil proceeds from that, even though there may be some good intentions there. It just does not work. Only God is capable of ruling man. No other man is capable of doing it. Teaching is one thing, guiding is one thing, helping is one thing, but never ruling over, never subjugating, never having dominion. So this scripture is extremely important, not only in terms of creating man, but in terms of the theology that God was going to set for man from this time on, never subjugate fellow men, only the creation. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created him, male and female. Man is male and female. Later on, that was divided into these two. But when he creates man... And when he refers to man later on throughout the scriptures, always understand he's speaking about both. 
So men becomes, in essence, a generic word. So it should never be confused. But when people become divided, everything becomes confused. Verse 28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, he told them to be fruitful and multiply, not to kill each other. You don't get fruitful and multiply, as people have been doing ever since. And fill the earth and subdue it. You fill the earth, but if you kill them, do not multiply. You do not fill the earth, and you cannot subdue it. And, and have dominion over the fish of the sea. That's what man can have dominion over. Over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Notice here, no mention of meat, no mention of fish, no mention of birds. In other words, the way God intended it to be, at least here in the beginning, how it changed later on, we shall find out. But when God, in essence, talked to the first couple that he created, he told them, here are the vegetables, here are the fruits, and here are all those things that you can eat. But he never pointed to any bird, any fish, any animal. Those things came later, and the first killing was done actually by God himself in the sense of the creation, that is, in search of an animal. Because the first killing came by the hand of uh, Cain who killed Abel, but he didn't kill him in order to eat him. But God killed an animal, and that animal was sacrificed, and the skin was used for the benefit of men. Verse 30, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given Again, he repeats that, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So now God explains something else. Not only to man, he gave instructions to eat things that grow in terms of fruit and vegetables and trees, but also to the birds and to the fish and to the animals he gives instruction. What you eat is green herb. That's going to be food. Don't eat each other. But something happened as time went by, and so we have the world in which we are, a devouring world. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Not partially good, but very good. It's very good for men to eat herbs and not eat animals or other things that are living just like he is. And it's very good for the beasts of the field to eat also vegetables and not to corrupt or destroy one another. And that, God said, was very good. Uh, later on, obviously, life did not become very good. And then God saw that everything he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Uh, verse, Actually, chapter 2, verse 1, finishes in one sense, uh, chapter 1. Uh, to begin with, there are no chapters, so it continues the thought that that's the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. So God began his creation. Then he's introducing another subject, but I will go into it uh, in another taping. And that is the seventh day 
that is a Sabbath. Though it is a completion, yet the story between verse 1 or between the first day and the sixth day is one by itself. And the seventh one becomes another story, which is a completion, yet it is a different story. So at this point, we're going to stop uh, this taping and we'll continue next time from chapter 2 and verse 2. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible 